You're listening to the Gamer Podcast. I'm Eric from the Gamer.com editorial team. And this week, we've got a recap of the full PlayStation State of Play showcase and an interview with Dying Light 2 lead designer Timon Smektala. Let's go! Welcome to the show. The newsboys are here for the news. Newsboy number one, Izzy Vanderveld. Hello. And newsboy number two, Andrew King. What up? Well, uh, sh- should we start with the discourse? Yeah, let's uh, talk. I have done a little research and I have become an expert on user experience. So I'm ready to handle <laughs> any questions you may have about Elden Ring. He went on uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> and he taught himself. That's right. Okay, so this is a Twitter drama, but that's the best kind of drama, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, a Ubisoft developer criticized Elden Ring's UX, and this spun out into a culture war, which is always fun. Um, I guess we should start by defining UX, which is short for user experience. Um, part of this uh drama part of this discussion was um the confusion between well what what user experience is versus what ui is user interface and i have a definition but maybe andrew you have an actual one to me the difference has always been ui is the actual physical interactions the menus on the screen and ux is the philosophy of the player interaction how easy it is to access things how easy it is to navigate the sort of flow of design well as an expert in user experience myself i can say that that is also what comes up if you look up user experience on wikipedia (laughs) Um, it says user experience is how a user interacts with and experiences a product system or service it includes a person's perceptions of utility ease of use and efficiency so the criticism levied is that Elden Ring has terrible UX. Now you both have played a lot of Elden Ring, mm-hmm. but but you're also both big Souls boys, yes? Yeah, I would mm. I would call myself a moderate Souls boy. Okay, I like the games a lot, but I rarely I have never beat any of the the FromSoft games. I just play a lot of them until I get stuck and then tend to bounce off. But I love <laughs> the games. So if you can take off. Take off your fanboy. I'm I'm really gendering both of you a lot today. <laughs> Take off your fanboy hat. Put mm-hmm. on your critic hat, and think about the way that uh, Elden Ring communicates to the player how to interact with this world. Is it good or is it bad? There's only two things it can be. <laughs> um, I think it depends on what you are looking for in a game. That is the lamest answer right. of all I mean, time. I, I hate that. that you just said that. By, by is it good? Western conventions, it is bad. It is Western bad. conventions. Yes, that's another part of this discourse. Like right. by any by any one of like our standard perceptions, it's bad. All you yeah. need to do is look at the fact that if you're not a From Software fan who's played a, a, at least a few of their games. Right. You're gonna stumble into this world and not know what the fuck to press. Right. What like X is jump. That's about the only standard thing. That's about. a good start. That's a good yeah. start. But like, yeah, it's. I 
it's, I know the menus are clunky. Um, the map, They're, the button yeah. to open the map is a different button that closes them. So if you press the yeah. map button twice, it doesn't open and close. It opens so the, and opens another box. So it's it's little things like that which make. Can it we hone in on that fun. for a second? Because oh, yeah. that all all discourse eventually gets distilled down to the most basic argument, and now it's become whether it's good or bad that the map opens with one button and closes with another. Yeah. Is this really an issue? Is this really meaningful? It's it's meaningful in the sense that it is something you will do dozens and dozens of times over the course of the game. You'll like hit the map button and then try to close it by hitting the same button and won't be able to do that and we'll go, "Oh right. I have to hit the, you know, back button to do this instead of the same button." So it is like meaningful yeah. in that it, it will be a part of your experience for the entire course of the game because you will you will like I am sixty hours into this game and I'm still not used to closing the map that way. I do it every time. And and there's like a hundred things like that. I wouldn't say quite that many, but it it is. I think the biggest ones were that and oh god, there was one other one that was actually quite big. Well, when you want to, when you need to bring your horse back to life because your horse can die separately from you, you have to use a uh, you know healing potion to do it. And every time that you do that, every time that you try to resurrect your horse, the game will ask you, in the middle of a battle, a lot of the time, do you want to use a potion to resurrect your horse? And you have to select yes. You have to press over with the control pad to select yes, instead of it just doing it for you. Assuming that if you are bringing your horse back to life, that's actually what you want to do. It asks you every time in the middle of battle. So that's frustrating. And there's like yeah. there's a decent amount of stuff like that that it's like if you changed it, this would not take anything away from the game to me at least. Like I don't, right. I would not miss getting killed by a boss because I was trying to select the right horse resurrection button. So then, so the the other element of this, which Izzy alluded to, the sort of cultural uh, debate. It's... This is bad UX in terms of a Anglo-centric perspective. But yeah. I guess my question is, does this fit into a lexicon of some sort of Japanese style of design? Or is it completely its own thing? Because I feel like that argument really falls apart if there isn't an entire library of games that operate exactly like Elden Ring does, the way that in the West we have a language mm. of UX. There's definitely a from software specific language, uh-huh. and like you know, yeah, because me and Andrew have played these games, and obviously Jade, um, our features editor who reviewed the game, because we understand that language, these I'll be charitable and call them quirks, yeah, don't really like they're not something that really detracts from our experience of these games. It's like, right. yeah, fine, that's just from software, and while that doesn't mean these things shouldn't be looked at critically, it does mean that the reason a lot of fans are willing to overlook these things is just because they're used to them and they don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't bother them anymore. Whether or, I, I haven't, I honestly don't play enough Japanese games and specifically enough like Japanese RPGs to know if this is a broader style, but that is kind of what's happened on Twitter is people saying things like, oh, see, this is why I don't play Japanese games because they're all like ah. hard to play. And like, it's not a lot and of that's, people. Like, that's this is obviously, obviously, you know, these are like, there are two like polar opposite sides of the discourse as there always sure. are. And one is uh, 
Elden Ring can do no wrong. And if you don't like it, fuck you. This game isn't mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. And the other side is like, this is the worst, most atrocious thing I've ever seen in my entire life. How can anybody even play this? It's when when the map button doesn't close the map. Like right. it, it's that kind of hyperbole on both sides, which is kind of removing any chance for nuance and interesting discussion and dissection from the conversation. I mean, yeah. As I said in my article, Twitter is when yours goes to die. So, right. I mean, to be fair, it's not that interesting. That's uh, another thing. Like, who really? Who cares? Like, if <laughs> like, who cares if when you open the? I mean, I guess people whose careers are literally UX care. So it's quite yeah. interesting for me to say that. But at the end of the day, it's like the average person playing this game. It's a slight. It's a minor inconvenience. It's a minor annoyance that once a once or twice a play session, you go, oh yeah. I, I have to press circle to back out of this map, not the map button. That's yeah. What, and then and then you move on, and you don't think about it yeah. again until you pick up the game the next day and do the exact same thing. Should it, we get yeah. uh, should we get a UX designer on the show to really break this down? I just we must be missing the forest for the trees because I know we keep using the map button as the example, but yeah. I it, I know that it's a bigger picture kind of thing. Um, it is. Yeah, I think I, I think it wouldn't hurt to have. A, so, but sorry. like it sold ten million copies, so right. like it can't be that detrimental to the experience, right? The tweets that kind of have been that have spurned all this were uh, some, yeah, it was a UX dev saying, "Oh, um, clearly critics don't care, or like reviewers and critics don't care about this. Uh, my yeah. whole life is a lie." Right, and they're basically like because the scores of this game are so high, they don't care about this. And then like a couple of other devs mentioned um, quest design, and oh, there was one other thing which I can't remember what it was. But it was which all is just... they, which is not a serious statement. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like they were like these are devs who obviously like their job is to look at the work of other games as well and see what's working, see what's not working. See right, what and they were just they shit posting. Like yeah, like but. Because their games didn't do as well as Elden Ring, everyone took that to be a super serious thing of like, oh yeah. my god, these devs like despise it now, and it's just which is just sh- which is just console war bullshit at mm-hmm. the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> like, I know that I started out with a very like equivocating statement about whether Elden Ring's UX and UI were good, but really, it's like this Elden Ring is good. Like, it sort of has become like a chance to bash. Ubisoft because Elden Ring is doing something that is so different from the over-explained way that Ubisoft sort of approaches this kind of thing. Yeah. But it really is like, what are you going to a game to look for? Like, I've been playing Horizon Forbidden West at the same time that I'm playing Elden Ring. And I definitely prefer Elden Ring, but like, if I don't feel like getting my ass kicked, I will pick up Horizon. Like, if I don't feel like being confused about where I need to go or what I need to do, then Horizon has that for me. It's just a very different experience. It's like, you know, a lot of people talk about people talk about Elden Ring or FromSoft games. Like, I know Gene Park over at the Washington Post has talked about how he finds the FromSoft games very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And like, if that is the experience that you have with FromSoft games, then that's great, and I relate to it at certain points, but also, a lot of the time, they're just very tough games that, like, if you're not in the mood to hit your head against the wall, then you might want to go play something else, and so, like, having games that are more willing to, you know, 
hold your hand is sort of a prerogative or a, der- a derogatory term, but like games that are willing to, you know, sort of give you everything you need to succeed rather than making you work for it, you know, yeah. fill different needs. Well, and I also think using the success of Eldering as a weapon against uh, uh, Ubisoft's style of game making is so misguided because like uh, Elden Ring is incredibly popular, but not because of the way that it does UX, like the using that as like, (laughs) see Ubisoft, like you could learn it. Like that's absurd. If anything, like horizon is a better in your face to, to Ubisoft, like horizon is doing what Ubisoft does, but better. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like that is the the cudgel that you could use to beat down Ubisoft for doing the same shitty things over and over and over. Like it, yeah. it, it's ridiculous to say like Elden Ring is some kind of awakening for gamers that they don't need the Ubisoft style. Like I don't get that at yeah. all because both are bad, right? <laughs> like both of them are bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, okay. We Everyone anything else there? Yeah, no. we, we got just that. Needs to relax. Mm. Except that, you know, that there's definitely that, that UX could be a lot smoother. It could sure. it just could be. It's right. not, and the game is still amazing. And and so it's whatever. never gonna be. <laughs> yeah, probably not. You know, the anyone that is a fan of a genre or a studio, like or any kind of like niche game corner of the world, all has to put up with weird bullshit in their mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. Like anything, if you play the Monster Hunter series, there's all kinds of arcane nonsense that you just have to go. Yeah, that's how these games are. Sorry. <laughs> right. Or or Destiny or Call of Duty for Christ's sake. Like mm-hmm. anything is like that. Yeah, I, I find that Call of Duty and like trying to really streamline things and make it as accessible as possible for a newcomer sometimes feels more confusing as a result. Like I was replaying a bunch of the Call of Duty campaigns like a a couple years ago, and like they really have one place that they want you to go, and if you are not grokking that, then it just you'll just die over and over again because there's oh, no yeah. way to to do it. <laughs> and so like I'll hit those pain points like once it, at least once per Call of Duty campaign where I'm like I have no idea what I'm supposed to do there, and these are it makes you even more frustrated because you're like this is supposed to be. Like, this is supposed to be, you know, the shooter for dummies. Like, anybody is supposed to be able to pick up this game, and I am not understanding where I'm supposed to go, so it makes you, like, doubly frustrated. So, like, yeah, every game has its pain points. Yeah. And, like, and it's fair to criticize those. I guess that's mm-hmm. the end. <laughs> that's right. sort of the end of the conversation. Um, okay, yeah. we are, right now we're talking before the PlayStation Showcase. Um, we're going to talk again tomorrow. Um about what's revealed there but as of now we have two delays and one release date announcement um the first one is nintendo has delayed advance wars from the april 8th release date in light of uh the war that's happening in ukraine right maybe advanced wars isn't the best game to get released at the beginning of april i think that's pretty that's a pretty easy thing to wrap your mind around uh obviously the the gamers aren't happy about it. Yeah, and the, well, they haven't de- they haven't announced a replacement date, which I think is probably well. As soon as Putin announces his <laughs> yeah. release date, uh-huh. 
Yeah, so it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be the best idea to be like, oh yeah, we're delaying it a month. Like, you know, we'll give the war a month and then <laughs> if it's still not over, we're, right. we're going ahead. Like, it's it's definitely the smarter move to just be like, in because especially because um, Jay told me one of the, I, th- I think one of the main factions in Advance Wars is like heavily based on Russia Big and like time. the Soviet Empire. So it's like, it, it is more than it just being a war game. It's like, no, it's yeah. specifically this, what Dude, this it, war game's about. This is it, the second time that this has happened, too, because the first Advanced Wars game launched in America September 10th, 2001. No way. Yeah, yeah. and so then it got delayed in its um, releases in other regions around the world to, like, the next year. So we'll see if that happens for this one again it's interesting that that game like the first advance wars game which is included in this package may just be cursed to always have its release date moved around because of you know global conflict because of the way the world is right if you can't like wrap your mind around this delay and accept it like yeah there's no hope for you i really think like <laughs> i the creatures i've seen online complaining about this like you got to you got to really check your priorities. Right. Uh, another delay, less controversial, Forspoken has mm. been delayed. Uh, I don't speak from experience, but those around the gamer office that have seen and or played, I can't say specifically, mm. but maybe this was a good delay. Yeah. Maybe this was a necessary delay, unfortunately. <laughs> Forspoken yeah. is the one with the uh the girl from the modern age who gets like teleported to like the past yes. or the dimensional. Yeah, yeah. Yes, this yeah. is a PlayStation exclusive third person action game, and we've seen it at a couple Sony showcases. We've seen two trailers so far, and I, I thought it looked great. I thought it had a really strong art direction. I thought the action looked really fluid, but um, someone who has taken a closer look thinks maybe it needs a little more time in the oven. Yeah, that's what I've heard. There was, I remember there being, there was like some controversy at the last preview because there was somebody, somebody who was showing off the game uh, who was not black described the character's movement as hip hoppy, which sort of, oh gosh, yeah, I forgot about that. You know, raised some hackles. So I don't know, maybe just all around from like a, you know, from every perspective, it seems like the game could probably. Use some extra time to make sure it's doing everything right as well as it can. I have, uh, I'm planning on reviewing it, so I have high hopes. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. We finally got our release date announcement for Gotham Knights. This was meant to come out in 2021, um, and it is now coming out October 25th. Um, this is Rocksteady's follow up to the Arkham trilogy. Right? No, sorry. No. This is... I mix this up every time. Rocksteady <laughs> team... is doing Suicide Squad. Yeah, this is the team that made Arkham Origins. Yes, this is this is um Montreal. Wait, Edos Montreal. No. Oh. Warner uh, Brothers Montreal. Warner Brothers, right? Warner Brothers Montreal. Studio. Yeah. Um yes. Our Arkham Origins, which is um gets a bad rap for one because it had a horrible PC port mm. and two because it's not arkham the arkham trilogy it's like very clearly right. a little bit different this is a lot different mm. uh because it's co-op focused it's more i think like rpgs kind of stuff yeah um 
So yeah, this is a big question mark for me. Now I, I forget no which one is like one of the one of the games, either Suicide Squad or this one, are set in the same like timeline as the Rock City games, and I don't remember which one it is. I think it's Suicide Squad, but I'm not sure. I think Suicide Squad is canonically the Arkham series, whereas okay. Gotham Knights is based on the Court of Owls, which is one of the greatest modern Batman stories of all time. Yeah, it rules. It rules. It's so it's so good. I read it because people were connecting this to that, and it is just the best run. One it's of the incredible. probably the best run of I've ever read in a superhero comic. Yeah. You you know anything about that, Izzy? No, my mate mentioned it because um, I saw the Batman um, mm-hmm. uh, on Friday. Uh, I thought it was like all right. I thought it was pretty and you know well acted, but generally i wasn't a big fan i think i rated like three stars um, okay but then i've seen like everyone else just loving it yeah um and yeah one of my one of my friends said uh minor spoiler alert i guess apparently there's like maybe an easter egg to the court of owls in there somewhere that i obviously completely missed because no i'm not i don't really read comics i watch comic book films and i really enjoy like a lot of them but in, yeah in 2011 yeah. dc did a line-wide reboot they canceled every single one of their books and started fifty-two new books at the, in the same month. It was called the new. It was called the New Fifty Two, and Batman Number One, uh, Scott Snyder. He came out of the gate with this Court of Owls. Uh, Any relation tw- to Zack Snyder? No relation. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, besides loving Batman, I guess. Um, yeah, his first arc was the Court of Owls. He went on to do, I think, like forty-nine issues in in this yeah. one continuous batman story and it's uh, cool. it's an incredible run yeah so that kind um, of what marvel did as well they just kind of reboot everything marvel like does this. this marvel does this every three years or so they mm-hmm. they relabel but they never do a full relaunch oh, okay. like like fantastic four will just keep going spider-man will just keep going but right. they'll do like marvel now they'll do like marvel next they'll kind of yeah. do like a rebrand every but oh, this okay. was this was dc's big swing to try to relaunch and everyone hated it and they just stopped doing it after a few years yeah. <laughs> there were some gems there was yeah. some gems in there yeah the wonder woman i have read a decent amount of it and the wonder woman one is okay and but the in like the batman verse batman and superman i think is the name of one of the lines that started that one's all right too but this is like yep. court of owls was definitely the the high point for me of what i've read yeah yeah snyder's whole whole run is uh incredible um Okay, let's talk about this bizarre aperture desk job data mine. Yeah. So Valve's uh, Steam Deck launch title, (laughs) Uh, not exclusive to the Steam Deck, but it's a Portal Universe little tech demo thing called Aperture Desk Job. Has anybody played it? I haven't. I I know that it's like optimized for the deck, and so I was like, well, if I get a Steam Deck eventually, I'd like to play it there, but I might just buckle down and... I think it's it. like a half hour or something. I think it's just oh, it's cool. kind of just a cute little uh, nod to Portal or something. I, I haven't played it either, but apparently, uh, Andrew, you told me that, that an entire new multiplayer Half-Life game called Citadel was data-mined out of the files and like a lot of it was data mined. Yeah, so Tyler McVicker is the one who originally discovered this. He is a YouTuber and journalist. Um and so what he discovered was a the files for something tentatively called Citadel. 
which is a team-based shooter RTS mashup. What? Uh, I don't even. I can't even like conceptualize that. I am having a little trouble figuring out what that means too. I know there have been like there the Halo creator, the game that one of the Halo creators made a game that was going for a similar thing a, a few years ago. That remember did, Disintegration? That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, Disintegration. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was like going for a similar thing, right? Where it was like trying to square the circle of RTS and yes, shooting. yeah. You would have you had like a squad. So you you were in a vehicle that had guns and stuff, and you had a squad of units, and they could fight with you, or you could designate them to capture points or objectives or whatever, and they would go fight other people's units mm, at cool. those different places while you did your vehicle. It was not fun. I oh. mean, it's an interesting <laughs> it's an interesting idea, but yeah. it was it, it was way too much to parse, and it failed after a couple of months, and they shut it down. The kind of, they yeah. feel like the sort of maybe antithesis is a bit strong, but they feel like very different types of uh, yeah, like I think what, so. What, like people who are looking for an RTS, you don't imagine they're also like, but I want to be boots on the ground aiming down the sights myself because right. right. otherwise they would just pick up a shooter and do that. Yeah, <laughs> a I mean, team it's... based, class based, squad based FPS RTS. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it seems like a yeah. lot to. I mean, <laughs> yeah, too many it seems things. Like a lot. Yeah. Um, um, Valve, I don't know if either of you guys have read the Jeff Keighley's interactive making of Half-Life Alex that he published on Steam. No, not yet. But that has a timeline of all of Valve's canceled projects, basically from Portal 2 through Half-Life Alex, like everything that they had in the works and then canceled. There are a ton of different projects in there that were sort of like, you know, using the Half-Life IP or the like the Portal IP that like, people were working on but never really got off the ground like there was like a fantasy yeah. rpg i think that they were working on at some point that you know just never went anywhere and um so i think citadel could end up being that they've been pretty precious with the half-life uh brand like and not just applied it to anything and everything i think yeah. portal they've been a little like more okay with putting that on stuff like bridge constructor portal and like this, uh, they used the one of the like early VR like proofs of concept was that um, what is it called? It's like Aperture Hand Labs or something, right? Which was yeah. like to try out like the it wasn't the Index controller. It was the I think it was the Vive Hand Knuckles controller. Is that what it's called? I think so. But yeah, there's like there they had that VR game that was like a set in the portal universe, and then there's another, um, you know, collection of VR mini games that they put out pretty early on that also used the portal world. So like they definitely are more okay with slapping the portal name on other stuff. And I mean, let's not forget Gordon Freeman's in Fall Guys. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. And in uh, uh, Death Stranding. Right. Yeah, so I don't know. I am a little I feel a little skeptical that they will make a full Half-Life game that is not a shooter, like a, a strict like single player first person shooter until I see it, I guess, you know. I just at this point like it feels like Half-Life can be anything. Mm. I don't know. I I mean 
there half-life 3 won't happen and uh. and if it did it would not do well because it it would be very that that's a very dated genre like we just we don't make games like half-life anymore for I good reason we, i wish we did because half-life <laughs> 2 is still one of the greatest games ever made you know i say that but i played a game that was a spiritual successor of uh of half-life late last year and i loved it what was it uh it's called i have to look at my steam list because now the name is escaping me industria oh uh, okay yeah i feel like i heard about that too isn't it didn't that start out as a half-life 2 mod yes i think okay. so uh yeah. cool. great game um yeah i don't know i th- this sounds confusing i'll wait and see i've played very confusing sounding games that turned out to be really fun before. So right. um, I'm fine with, I'm fine with half-life coming back as whatever at mm. this point. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I just hope that if they do make half-life three, it isn't VR exclusive, which seems like what they want to do with it. You know, that was like their, their big, their big thing with the mainline half-life games. And with Alex too, is that it's like, they don't want to make a game they don't want to make a new Half-Life game unless it is like something they couldn't do before, something that is like pushing technology forward. And I hope that that doesn't mean that Half-Life Three is VR exclusive because I would I liked Half-Life Alex, but man, it is a long time to spend in a headset. You know? Yeah. What a so, fucking game, though. Yeah. So I don't know. I hope Half-Life Three is just a regular PC game, and they find some other way to push the medium forward that doesn't have to do with the tech side uh, mm. necessarily, you know, but we'll see. I was going to do what they want to do, I guess. Yeah. Each individual developer is going to do what they want to do. Yeah. At Valve. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. They got the most bizarre. Is he, do you, have you ever heard about Valve's like um, horizontal structure? No, but anytime I hear the term horizontal structure, uh, it it does make me worried because yeah. so, it so just always sounds very chaotic in practice. Yeah. So the reason the reason Valve has so many like false starts and games that didn't come together or things that didn't get off the ground is because they don't have hierarchy, hmm. and they work on this like project pod system where you put you people in this like open floor space they gather together to work on projects Mm. and if you decide that you don't want to be on your project anymore and you want to go work on something else you physically just move your desk to a Mm. different group yeah interesting yeah, yeah, and it's it's sort of amazing that they ship any products or any projects (laughs) that way right i i hope that they can get like a team of like 10 people to push their desks together and finish in the Valley of the Gods. Cause I would still like to see what that thing is, you know, never going to happen. Yeah. I think it's been too long at this point, but it would be cool to see it. I, I think that, um, the, what is the name of the, the guy who worked on Jake Rodkin? Is that his name? Who worked on fire, uh, firewatch. Yeah. I think he was working on like a Steam Deck CGI trailer that mm. they 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 he he worked on like a Steam Deck commercial. So I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if any of the team that was at Campo Santo is going to get together and you know make something again, or if they have just been subsumed by the Valve. But gobbled up. 
I would I would like to see them finish that game, but I also tend to like any narrative projects that Valve puts out, so I will be happy to see what they make next, whatever it is. For sure. But kind of like Flat Structure always sounds cool in in print and theory, but then yeah. in practice it kind of seems like what you get is just cults of personality forming where mm. people are just like, oh, I want to work on that guy's project or I want to work on this project and they don't actually care what the project. They'll just like do it because it's like a big personality in the office and mm. then you've just got a different type of hierarchy and you're just not officially calling it a hierarchy. Yeah. And that that's where I think things can get very really muddy and yeah, like, it's good to have clearly defined yeah. Probably. Like, space it, within it, a business. It definitely seems like you would have to have just the most mature people working on your team as yeah. possible. But yeah. I mean, people there seem pretty happy because, like, I know when Half Life Alex came out, the people that I interviewed for it were people that had been there for since the '90s. You know, since the '90s or like early 2000s, and they seem to have a lot of people that have been around for that long. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it seems like I haven't heard reports about super bad crunch out of Valve at least since like the Half Life Two days. I know that because they announced an unrealistic release date for that originally, they had some crunch and some confusion, and then eventually it did end up getting delayed. But I don't. I feel like you hear less about them crunching than other studios of their like size and caliber. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but I don't know. You so what like when you are thinking about how can I be an ethical gamer, you sort of look for signs about like oh well, this studio seems like people are happy there, but you don't really know unless you work there, I guess. Uh, okay, can I talk about the Destiny raid? Yes, I would like to hear about it. I I don't know anything about this, Eric. Okay, so uh, Destiny expansion came out two weeks ago. Uh, the Witch Queen, uh, and as has become tradition, um, 10 days later, the raid comes out. And the raid is a big race. It, it launches in, in a special difficulty setting called Challenge Mode, and uh, the, the biggest streamers and speedrunners and everybody is competing for World First. Uh, title in the race. Uh, so the raid is called Vow the Disciple. It launched at 10 a.m. on Saturday and almost immediately had devastating server issues. Mm, um, was that to the point was trying to log on? Who, who knows? Now, we know that they had way more people than anticipated because they, they had to put a queue in place for non-expansion holders. Mm, wow. People trying to log in on Saturday that weren't running the raid and didn't own the expansion were, were met with a queue, which is pretty unusual outside of like an expansion release. Mm. Um, but who knows? Because some people had no server issues yeah. and some people had devastating server issues. Mm. So um, to the point where like for multiple hours, they were all getting kicked out and teams were like, you know, the, the 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 raids are like four-ish encounters, and each encounter is a very complicated puzzle that mm. takes multiple hours to solve. And people were like getting towards the end of completing an encounter and getting all kicked out. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, and losing like hours and hours of progress. So oh, that sucks. So yeah, brutal. So there, there's a few things that happen as a consequence of this one Bungie extended contest mode to 48 hours. This has never happened before. Contest mode is 24 hours Saturday only. And then on Sunday, the raid goes into normal mode and all the normies can <laughs> start playing it, mm. you know, 
This time, 48-hour window. Okay. Uh, because of that, what we saw was like, I'm going to get these numbers wrong. This is, I'm pretty pretty much an estimate, but we saw about 800 teams finish in day one on the, mm-hmm. in that 24-hour window. Yeah. And then another almost 7,000 wow. finish on day two. Yeah. Uh, which I say, great. The more people that get to do it, the better. Mm-hmm. A lot of gamers are upset that they earned their emblem. You get like a sticker for finishing mm-hmm. it. That they earn their emblem in that first day and everybody else in the second day, they should get a different sticker so that <laughs> the world knows. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's the same challenge. Yeah. Like yeah, but they didn't. Issues. But they didn't grind their bones to dust in the first twenty four hours, getting it done. They don't deserve it like I do. Piss babies, absolute piss yeah. babies. Yeah, so that's one thing. But it's also sort of inspired a discussion about like how contest mode should work in the future, and should mm-hmm. people be able to do it outside of that twenty four hour? Because it is a different game mode. It's not yeah. just do it in twenty four hours. It's like do it in twenty four hours, and it's like harder and different. Yeah. Um. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, a, a team did win. As you can imagine, somebody did finish first. Yeah. Uh, and this team, Elysium, they also happened to win the last raid. Six months ago, we had uh, a remake of the original Destiny raid, Vault of Glass, and they won that one too. So they're quite good. Yeah. I think Sounds that's easy. That's obvious. Um, but... Because so many people couldn't compete fairly in their minds because of the server issues, then Elysium, while they must not deserve their W, yeah, right, because other people may somebody else might have won. Mm. So um, here's the big issue with that: Elysium had worse server issues than anybody else I saw <laughs> that day. Really, they, so. they got fucked for hours hours and they still won and once again they won last time too so it's not like they stumbled into it it's like you know yeah i feel like elysium should get extra stickers i i wrote something about this this week i don't remember when it's going up but we there's no such thing as fair in the world and we make things as fair as possible this was pretty tragic that this happened um obviously nobody wanted this to happen Bungie least of all right so but we make things as fair as possible but it seems like people expect that a video game with all of its design and rules has to be this perfect simulation and that's just not reality like anybody that's played games knows that server shit happens like this isn't I, this this isn't a failing on Bungie. How can right. it be when this happens in every video game? If right. we could stop this from happening, don't you think it would have? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the, the live games that don't have, like, crippling server issues are, like, notable more so than the other way around. Does that you exist? Know? Is there a game that doesn't have server issues? Yeah, I mean, not, like, entire. I, I remember, like, when The Division 2 launched, people were like, wow, this is pretty you know, like not crashing all the time. And like, mm. there's a, it seems like there's a good end game. Like this is like the gold standard just because it's doing 
those basic things, you know, very well. Like that is like every live game, it seems like really struggles, especially as they get popular with. Yeah. I guess he's more popular than ever. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Final Fantasy fourteen had horrible server issues for like a whole week or more right. after launch. People could community, not play the game. That community seemed like they just memed about it. Like they were like, well, you get up, you, you get up in the morning, you log in, and then like two hours later, you might actually be able to play the game. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that's what I remember hearing about it that week when Endwalker launched. Mm. Awesome yeah. rough guide writers and stuff trying to actually do things. <laughs> yeah. So my message is like, was it fair it doesn't matter nothing is fair like <laughs> mm. like uh your the your star kicker at the super bowl could tear his acl we don't call off the super bowl right. <laughs> you know yeah. yeah like shit is gonna happen and i'm sorry like it doesn't matter if it was fair or not like the team mm. that won won because they played really good yeah um yeah yeah you can't i mean like Especially with like a game like that where people are, you know, competing from all over the world. They're not in a centralized location. Everybody is going to be dealing with their own problems. Like a team might be competing in a place that has like worse, worse internet, you know, like there is no way to level that playing field, especially if people are not all in the same place where you can have a more controlled environment. Right. Yeah, that sucks, though. It does suck. I hope it never happens again. But like. It did happen. Mm. Like it just, it just happens. <laughs> That's yeah. all there is to it. I don't know. It seems like I don't know. Maybe this ruins it because of how raids work. But it seems like it would be good if there was some sort of save state feature in case that kind of server issue happens, so that like your team can just jump back to where you were. But so every so finishing an encounter mm-hmm. gives you a save state. Okay. Um, so you have four in, in the raid, the crazy thing, this happened to the team that won, mm-hmm. they finished an encounter, got into the next one, wiped it, set them back to the previous encounter. They didn't oh, wow. get their save state. Wow. So instead of running it again, mm-hmm. they got somebody else from another team to come into their game and give them the set to give them mm-hmm. the checkpoint. And then, of course, that got clip chimped, and people are saying, "Oh, they stole a checkpoint. Right. You know, they cheated." <laughs> it's just so much negativity that, like, I, I've seen this. Uh, the whole team on Twitter—they call Elysium. The whole mm. team is like, "I didn't. I'm. I wish I we didn't win." Yeah, it has been oh, so sure. awful since we won. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, this awesome. like something positive just gets spun so horribly. Yeah, I hope Elysium wins the next raid so that. Yeah, I hope they win everyone forever. There's one one other funny thing that only Destiny people would care about, but uh, one of the most popular Destiny content creators, his name's Dato, and his team thought that they won, but they finished the boss three minutes behind Elysium. God. And this is the third time that has happened to them. (laughs) They've come in second by a few minutes three times now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, brutal yeah that is brutal brutal um okay we're running a little bit long but we can't end our news segment without our segment within a segment (laughs) fucking video game movies every week 
every goddamn week we have to do this and I'm going to be salty about it <laughs> all the time for no reason. Like I'm going to watch all these movies. It's just like, it's just the trend, you know, it's just the, the, the wave. We got to ride the wave yeah. and superhero movies are old news. Now video game movies are in and it's just so cynical. Uh, it's, it's so interesting to me because coming from a background of film and television studies, I was like, I want to approach video game um, criticism using the the media literacy I got mm. analyzing film and TV. Yeah. And now the whole industry has gone, no, 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 fuck you. You're not going to like be cool and do that and do something <laughs> unique and interesting. We're just going to turn everything into a film and TV show anyway. So yeah. It's like, cool. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my idea is ruined. <laughs> and so many of these, I've mentioned this before, but so many of these games are just trying to be movies anyway. So right. it's going to, yeah. it's movies based on games, based on movies. And it's just like eating its own ass forever. Uh, <laughs> God of War is coming to Amazon. Mm. I think that is going to be as a TV show, it said. Potentially. Okay. Yeah, God of War but, yeah. series. Um, a couple things here, I guess. Amazon shit's kind of low budget. Am I the only one that... Isn't like what, looks what... meant to be like the most expensive TV show ever? Yes. Made, yeah, it's like they spent like over $300 million on it. Damn. Yeah, what's their, spend... what's their Game of Thrones-like thing? Based on a book that's happening. Oh, Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time looks kind of low budge to me. Yeah. And I think they probably spend a lot of money on it, but it doesn't necessarily show up on camera in the way you would expect it to. Yeah, that's sort of been my sense. I guess The Boys looks like an HBO or yeah. Yeah, I like um, The Boys a lot. Yeah, but besides the and I like Invincible. That's animated though. Mm -hmm. I I can't think of a ton of Amazon shows that have really blown me away. Um, yeah, you listed the two that I've watched in their entirety. The yeah, I mean that's ball. that doesn't mean anything about this God of War show. It's just yeah. like that's just kind of brand fanboyism, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I the guy this God of War has to be new God of War for sure, right? We there's no way this yeah. is. This is um, banging banging all the sex slaves, Scott. Yeah, I think <laughs> there's a lot more rough edges to smooth out if you go back to like the the Greek trilogy, right? Like mm. that's a lot yeah. of. I mean, I mean, and like you can easily cut out like the sex mini games from a TV show, but like sure, yeah, the the vibe was definitely pretty different in the Greek trilogy, and Kratos is more of like a. I mean, I've only played the first of those early games. I played God of War 2005 and 2018. So, like, uh -huh. I don't know how, like, his arc changes. I know that he has, like, a family that he, he like, that, that's it, something I've seen people bring up about him having a kid in a tri like, with Atreus is that, yeah, he had kids before in the he had a daughter, previous yeah. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, there, there is connective tissue there, for mm -hmm. sure, but it is such a hard reboot, like, uh, thematically and, like, just the gameplay sensibilities wise as well. yeah. and gameplay wise too yeah 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 but just like tonally it's just like com completely different there's no way mm. like yeah there that tv show is gonna have to be woke out of war <laughs> for sure right <laughs> like and also it's interesting that it's sort of 
Uh, it's also sort of a parallel of Last of Us. Yeah. Yeah, it's another sad dad story. Yeah, sad yeah. dad disconnected. We don't, we don't know for sure if it is going to be that, but like, yeah, as you guys are saying it. Kid in Apocalypse. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make as much sense to do the uh, the old, the old trilogy. Yeah, I, I think the, the new game already kind of looks like Prestige TV and is written sort of like Prestige exactly. TV. So it mm. is a neat... It's a neat fit if you want to adapt that. I think they could do like flashbacks to the Greek trilogy because it's like, how do you even explain who Kratos is if you don't have the context of those old games? Like he's it's a true. Greek, he's like a Greek, you know, god who is out of his pantheon in the, you know. I mean, a a series from like very much making Atreus the protagonist mm-hmm. could be more interesting in that you would then have the mystery of Kratos and you could the audience would be just as mystified as the protagonist. And so you could actually learn the people who haven't played the games could learn with the protagonist. Oh, this is who he is. This is what he's done in the past. And it would just allude to things. Mm -hmm. But again, like I think Stacy wrote this in her article, the game is all like the most interesting thing about the God of War 2018 game is the, the continuous camera Mm -hmm. that like the whole game, if you were to sit down and play that game in one go, Mm -hmm the whole game would play out as one continuous unbroken shot. Right. And that's a really, really cool thing that it did. Um, yeah, very interesting style. Like, yeah, cool aesthetic choice. But that's the thing that makes it feel kind of cinematic, like most cinematic. Mm-hmm. So why do you need to make that a TV show now? Like, it, it's right. just, it just feels like one of those things that it just feels so like artistically bereft. It's like, you don't need to do it. You're not going to gain yeah. anything really from retelling this story in a different medium when it's already emulating that medium anyway. Like just, yeah. just do yeah. something new. Just yeah. Last week we talked about twisted metal, and the more distance I get from that idea, actually, the more I think it's great because yeah. nobody cares about twisted metal. It's not a big IP. It doesn't feel like a cash in, but it also feels like a great idea for a series. Yeah. Yeah. Like that just seems like a game that will make a good show, whereas so many of these other ones just feel obligatory. It seems like the anti-prestige video game too, which makes it interesting. You know, like yeah, it is just <laughs> like, it is just like you know, crazy-looking cars like smashing into each other and carnage. Like that is a like that gives you an interesting like. There's a there's more of a challenge with adaptation. Like you could take the structure of The Last of Us or The Last of Us Part Two, chop it up into episodes, and like show that as a TV series with very few changes. But like Twisted Metal requires going. How would you even make this into a TV show? Like what does yeah. that even look like? It's like making like Pac Man into a TV show. You know, it's like right. It requires that level of like foundational thinking. Like what do we even do here? You know. Yeah, and it will be its own thing. It won't be this sort of adaptation hmm. of I think something big, that already exists. A big problem with all of these adaptations is that they think the best thing about these games is their story mm-hmm. like alone. Mm-hmm. And while a lot of these games do have really good stories, mm-hmm. like they're four video games for sure. They've got really, really good video games. Yeah, thank you for qualifying. Yeah. But like and, you know, I say this as someone who absolutely I've chosen to pick a career in video games and wants mm. to be a video game writer. So I don't mean that with like to be too derogatory, but it's just these are good stories for games mm-hmm. yeah. and, the, and they're elevated by the interactivity that you have. Like 
The Last of Us is a story that really, really touches me because I'm the one who makes those decisions. I am Joel. Like, I don't watch Joel do these things. I press the buttons. I I make him do what he does. I make him commit all these atrocities Uh to save his surrogate daughter. So watching somebody else do that, like, yeah, cool, it's fine, but it's... that's I've seen that in films before. Like, that's not really going to be anything new or exciting. I think some of the power, too, of it is that, like, you are inhabiting... Like, the the first Last of Us game, a moment that I always come back to is there's a part where Joel... You're controlling Joel and you fall down through, like, a crumbling floor to the basement of a building and then have to Mm. make your way back up to Ellie. Yeah. And I think, like, games have... Like, especially when you have a companion character who's physically in the same space as you all the time, when they distance you from that character and you can't rely on that character to, like, help you out in combat or, like, be there to talk to you that makes it, you know, it makes you like physically miss being with that character in a way that is more challenging to achieve in film. Mm. Um, yeah, it creates a very real vulnerability in you, the player. Right. Which, whereas in a film or TV show, it's going to create vulnerability in the person you're watching on the screen. Right. Mm. Which is still, sure, that's that's cool. Like, that's interesting to see, but it's it's not going to hit as hard as it did in a, in a game. And so right. why bother taking it to what's going to be a weaker medium for the story you're trying to tell yeah yeah i don't know i mean all those could be good i I like the the last of a show has gone with casting for those roles that feels appropriate but is not what i expected you know Mm -hmm. like pedro pascal as joel is an interesting tweak on joel especially because i think of joel is like sort of like you know, the er video game white dude. So casting somebody who is not a white dude as him is an interesting tweak, you know? Yeah. Yeah, sure. sure. And that's what Stace's article touched on with, um, well, not touched on, it was completely about with Kratos is um, uh, how she thinks Kratos should be played by a black actor. Yeah. Which I think I definitely say I agree with because, yeah, Kratos has always, he's always been voiced by a black um actor and obviously Chris Ridge, right? Chris, yeah but even i think even in the greek trilogy he was voiced by a by a black voice actor and yeah now christopher judge did the motion capture and the uh and the voice acting and as stacy pointed out he said um a big part of his performance was drawing on his own experiences as a black dad so mm. it it is in, it is actually important to this yeah this iteration of right. for sure to that it, it is a, a black character I think it's weird that they white skin because of the whole ashes thing, right? I think it's weird that Atreus is just just straight up looks like a white kid, you know. (laughs) I think like there has been like a history of reading Kratos as a black character, and then it feels Mm -hmm. like 2018 is like, yeah, but his son is definitely a white kid, you know. Like he Atreus looks like he could be named Jaden or something, or you know. Does I want to consider Jaden Smith as those giants have strong genes? Yeah, that's all I can say. I mean, again, Stacey's article mentioned that quite well. With um, uh, like we all saw the backlash when I cannot remember that character's name, but the uh, when the black character got revealed for God of War Ragnarok, Anger Boda, I think is her That's name. It. Yeah, um, when she got announced, that was like all hell broke loose. Yeah. So she did say, you know, like it's quite possible that cynically Atreus was meant to be darker skinned or like mixed race or whatever, but they uh, the 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 higher ups were just like, nah, white kid. Yeah easier to sell yeah yeah we see that with uh we've seen that with ubisoft not to constantly pick on you know what fuck ubisoft i'll pick on ubisoft. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Um, oh, with all the Assassin's Creed games and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That they've constantly had to take out the or like sideline the female characters from being like the sole main character to being an option for the main character. Yeah, I just saw that thread on Women's yeah. Day. That was yeah, so really, really depressing. It's all just yeah. it's just so boring. Mm. It's just so boring all the time. Like, oh yeah, we're just yeah, you play another gruff dude. Like, oh, piss off. Let me let me play something else. Right. Play yeah, but they're <laughs> they're purposefully marketing to the middle, right? I like, know. Yeah. widest audience possible, which means being inclusive to hateful people. (laughs) I think it's sort of bizarre because like Sony has obviously, I mean, it's white women, so it's not like it's like a paragon of as inclusive as it can be. Sure. They have very successful series with women leads, you know, Mm. like going back to Laura Croft and then like Aloy and Ellie, like Aloy and Ellie especially are notable because they're characters who aren't sexualized in the way that Laura Croft was. Mm-hmm. Like these, like they have extremely successful games with women characters. Like it's not the scary thing that Ubisoft seems to think it is. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, this has gone on far too long, <laughs> gentlemen. I'm just kidding. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll do uh, the PlayStation Showcase. We are back, Sans Izzy. But you know what? That's fine. What does he know? Yeah, who needs him? Uh, Andrew King, we have since watched the PlayStation Sony State of Play uh, yeah. from this week. Let's run down uh, the biggest stories. I think uh, number one with a bullet, eight former PlayStation uh, Sony employees suing in California for workplace discrimination. You yeah. thought you were going to pull one over on us, Sony. You thought you were going to show us some video games and distract us. Uh, not this podcast. Listen, did you read the story? I did, and I saw the headline, but I haven't okay. read the story. Okay, you could you could just cross out PlayStation. You could just cross out Sony and write in Riot or Activision Blizzard, and it's yeah. the exact same shit. Yeah, it is all this. It's uh, um, guys going to strip clubs during their lunch break, mm. ranking women on how hot they are in the office. Uh, managers telling women they can't wear skirts because they're too distracting. Mm. Um, uh, people being told that they need a breast pump in closets. It's all the same. It's the exact same, like passing porn yeah. around the office. Wow, it's wild how much of that does sound exactly like what we heard about Activision. I mean, Activision Blizzard was like a just a cluster bomb of sexual harassment. Like, I feel like yeah. that one was like beyond the pale, you know. But it sounds like you could take details from the stuff we heard about that and just yeah, yeah. It sounds like what you're talking about. It's we call it like a reckoning, I guess, at this point because it's yeah. so constant. Just if you if if, uh, uh, any big studio, any big publisher, a hundred percent, the stuff is happening. Right. Like it seems unavoidable. It feels like we've had it in waves because there was like a minor amount of conversation about this kind of stuff right after like the initial Me Too wave, and then like yep. later in 2018 or 2019, I forget exactly when it was, but you had the like 
allegations that came out about Jeremy Sewell and Chris Avalone and some other people. And then now it is like broadened out beyond those like individual bad actors to be like, okay, there's like awful culture at a bunch of these big studios and publishers. And I mean, it's important to get out the individual bad actors, obviously, but Mm -hmm. this is the more important thing. It seems like to, force these studios to and publishers to like reckon with the culture that is allowing that to happen rather than the individual guys that are doing it. And how do you do that without socializing your workplace? Yeah. That's my Uh, question. Yeah. I mean, it's another reason that studios need to unionize and it has been, you know, heartening to see steps in that direction. I mean, it does seem like Xbox acquiring Activision, and also Activision's attempts to restructure or may, you know, prevent Raven QA from unionizing, but it was encouraging right. to see them unionize it, like attempting to unionize it all to begin with. And it seems like we're seeing a wave of unionizations around the country. Like we've had a bunch of Starbucks shops that have been, you know, putting in the paperwork to unionize. And hopefully that is like this, you know, culture of like shifting some power back to the worker is embraced by, you know, workers of game studios and they push to make the same things happen there. I mean, it's not easy, especially when you have, you know, the huge publishers that have a vested interest in not allowing the workers to unionize who are attempting to propagandize anyone that might be on the fence to get them to not vote in favor of it. Right. It makes it really hard to be the ones on the ground doing the, work to make that happen yeah and it's we're in the crucible right now because what in in order to move these big companies to a position where unionization is possible they need to they need to become diverse and progressive workplaces first Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. once you get uh diverse groups of people working there then they're way more apt to Mm -hmm. vote for and push for organization but until it happens all of the those marginalized people are the ones who are going to suffer the most right um yeah and i don't think it's a coincidence that we've seen it happening in qa specifically because they tend to be the ones that are at the bottom of the totem pole who are treated the the worst and like get you know get crunch dumped on them because they have to you know i mean like we talk about this with reviewers sometimes that it's like we'll get a, a game and have like, you know, a, like, like people had a week with Elden Ring. And it's like, that is a gigantic game. You need at least like three or four weeks to review that game properly. And like QA has the same problem to my understanding that they are constantly just being asked to play through the game and find bugs. And like, you know, any, any problems upstream get shifted to them because of that. Yeah. So the the details here is that it was a former IT staffer who uh, filed the lawsuit in California uh, for wrongful termination. They are seeking a class action status, which Sony tried to get dismissed. Um, And then on Tuesday, um, the there were eight other women whose statements joined that in an effort to create a class action lawsuit against Sony. and it's, you know, it's fucking despicable and it's not just Sony and it's not just Activision Blizzard and it's not just Riot. It's all of them. It's right. all of them. Yeah. So 
yeah. let's hope let's hope that uh, you know the reckoning continues until we have a big a big sea change. Right. Because none yeah. of the, none of, none of them are going to please themselves. I I really I I don't know. Maybe that's like totally cynical, but none of that. I guess the best example we have is like, um, it really seems like Bungie turned it around. Mm-hmm. Like Bungie got outed late last year. Uh, yeah. In an IGN article, and it and it seems like change was already happening there. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that Bungie needs to be unionized, just like Activision right. Blizzard needs to be unionized. Yeah. Like, I know that like Schreier has reported on like Rockstar having some like changes as a result of like the reporting that came about in the lead up to Red Dead Redemption 2. But the question with that is that like people that work there, even in the initial reporting, were saying it gets worse when we're about to ship a game. And like, you know, we know that the next GTA game is coming at some point. The test will be how bad is it for people to work there in the run up to getting GTA six shipped? Right. Cause it's all, it's like, it's easy to not crunch when you're, you know, years out from shipping a game and you're in the ideation phase, but it's a lot, you know, the rubber meets the road when you got to get the thing out. You have a date that you said you need to get it out and you need to, you know, work in like an impossible amount of hours before then to get it shipped, you know? Yeah. And so, we won't know. Nobody right. will know until long after. Like people are suffering today. Yeah. And nobody's gonna know and nothing's mm-hmm. gonna be done about it. Right. Whew. Uh so you wanna talk about video games now? Sure. I think that um you know, Sony did not give us a ton to be excited about at this uh state of play though, if I'm showing my hand early. <laughs> yeah, if they wanted to distract us from this lawsuit, they could have they could have brought out some bigger guns. That's right. for sure. They didn't have the equivalent of Disney dropping the Obi Wan Kenobi trailer to distract from their support of the politicians. You know, yeah, that don't say gay law in Florida. Exactly, which was also this week. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. Like I I wish I could start with the highlights, but there's nothing that really jumps out to me here. I think what they started with this Exo Primal game. Yeah. Uh, which is like Dino Crisis EDF, I guess. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise about that trailer was getting to the title card at the end and seeing that it was not Dino Crisis. That it was not Dino yeah, Crisis. That was the biggest surprise of the whole uh, show for me. Uh, this is a a sort of hero, hero like an Anthem or Overwatch yeah. ki- kind of, but also like big swarmy EDF. It looks very silly, like Earth Defense mm-hmm. Force too. Like the trailer starts with a black hole and just like a bazillion dinosaurs pouring out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely saw people comparing it to Anthem in part because you are like in a, it's a five player co-op squad in mech suits that look similar to the javelins from anthem and you can do mm-hmm. range and melee which is also how anthem's combat works so yeah i can definitely see why the comparisons are there and honestly in my opinion is that being compared to anthem is not necessarily a bad thing because the problem with that game was its overall campaign structure and like the fact that it had almost nothing like in terms of support but like the core yeah. gameplay like i don't think being compared like to the core gameplay of Anthem is necessarily a bad thing. No, it's just I I am not one of these people at all, but mm-hmm. there's a there's a a noticeable 
sort of hatred towards like anything conceived as live service or like anything that's can be like monetized. There's still this, like, I don't, I don't know what it is exactly. Cause like Mm -hmm. live service is a good thing to me. Like I want to play a game that's going to get support. I want to play a game that I love today and is just going to keep getting better. Yeah. But people are, I don't know. There's like this attachment to like, when we used to just get a disc and the whole game would be on there and then it would be over. Like, yeah, I think the issue for me is less life service as a whole as it is like games that don't really fit that mold being pushed into it by sure. Yeah. You know, like Avengers is the obvious example, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or like Babylon's fall more recently is like, like take platinum who makes really good sync, like, contained action games and have them make a you know live service game and it is you know sort of predictably not getting very good reviews i haven't spent any time with that one but you know so this is capcom which makes it extra surprising that it's not dino crisis right um but clearly i guess inspired by uh five player is interesting to me yeah same that's not that something I out. associate with co-op. I associate that more with like a, you know, competitive. Yeah. Everything is three player now. Yeah. I remember, I I guess like E3 2020, like every game, every co-op game was three player. Right. Kind of started with like Apex and then it right. just felt like everything came out as three. Outriders was three player. Like that was 20. Like, that must've been 2019, right? Cause 2020, I think E3 got canceled. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So I think that was right after that must have been right after Apex came out. Then you had a bunch of studios announcing that their upcoming co-op games were going to be three player. Yeah. Um, yeah. Five player. Kind of a weird one. Yeah. Who, ha- who has five friends? Exactly. It's certainly I, not me. No. Um, OK, let's let's hit all the big ones here. Sure. Uh, Returnal Ascension. Yeah. Did you play the you play the base game? No, George never stops talking about it. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't. It was just a timing thing. I was playing something else when it came out, and then I just moved on. Yeah. Um, but I think I would like it. This adds co-op and like new new tile sets and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm significantly more likely to get into Returnal now that it isn't $70. You know? That was True. part of what put me off at the beginning. It just is like, if I blow 70 bucks on a game it's like well that's the only game i'm getting this month so i gotta make sure that i want it you know right and returnal was one of those and you know ratchet and clank is like the one that i've put out i've given the 70 dollars to shell out for Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. otherwise i try to avoid that if i can yeah returnal always seemed too way too much at 70 to me yeah but i hear great things about that game so i i don't know maybe I, I also stayed away because of the um, that you couldn't save mid run, which is now something that they have changed. So yeah. I feel like that might that plus this new content might be enough to get me to want to play it. And I've just heard like really really great things about that game, so I would like to play it. But I don't really want two super difficult games at the same time, and I'm still playing through Elden Ring. So mm-hmm. maybe at some point later later on this year, I'll pick up a Returnal. Uh, a new Valkyrie profile. This is Val- wild. Valkyrie Elysium, right? Valkyrie Elysium. But it uh, is supposed to be the same uh, series? Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure about that. I haven't played one of these since, like, the PSP. 
I don't think I I haven't played any of the Valkyrie games. That, yeah, I don't think I played any of them. They so the old Valkyrie games had this really cool uh, battle system. It was turn based, but it was mm-hmm. like all of your face buttons controlled a different character. Yeah. So you would just like do an input, and that character would attack. Yeah, and it had like timers, and it was like a turn-based thing, but it, it but it felt very like actiony. Yeah, like kind of the way that the newer Final Fantasy games had like sort of like real time blend with turn-based. Yeah, Th- this felt like that, but in a very like early, like basic kind of way. But they they had a really cool style that I I don't remember other games being like that. This is not like that at all. This is just right. a this is just a third person action RPG. Right. Yeah, one of two RPGs that Square Enix announced at the end of the uh, at the end of the presentation. I was expecting one of them to be Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest because we haven't heard a ton about what's going on with those games. We, I mean, we know that Final Fantasy sixteen is coming eventually. We know that Dragon Quest twelve is coming eventually. Um, right. But I have seen one trailer for sixteen, and have we seen anything of Dragon Quest twelve? I feel like we've seen a logo, and I don't remember if there was ever any. Trailer I don't, with it. Yeah, I don't recall. Uh, Valkyrie Elysium looks very dated, I gotta say. I'm looking at the trailer again right now, and it's just like every third person action game from the, you know, from last gen or even yeah. before that, maybe. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's like a beloved these... series, but here's a completely different take on it, and it's also like not that unique. Right. Neither of those made a huge impression on me. I would be more likely i think to play um what's the other one that they announced it's called yeah so the, the other one is the dio field chronicle right i would be more likely to play that since it is tech like a tactics rpg which i enjoy um but i also would like to play triangle strategy and that's already out so i don't know maybe i'll just i don't know maybe by the time this comes out i'll be hungry for another one but yeah so dio field chronicle is very Final Fantasy Tactics or Triangle Strategy, but uh, with, with a 3D Final Fantasy art style, I guess. It looks like it's got tons of um, like 3D cinematics and just like a super high-budget version of something like Triangle Strategy, um, which right. looks kind of cool. Yeah. But not a game I'm going to sit down and play on my TV on the console. No way. Like. Yeah, that's... That's my main issue, too, is that if I was going to play that, it would be on Switch or on PC, not on... I, I have played very few on, like, a like tactics games on a TV. It just is not the ideal way to play them. Yeah. No, I don't want to play a tactics game really with a controller and definitely not sitting on the couch. Yeah. Mm. I, I want to play it on Switch or Steam Deck or on PC. You have a Steam Deck? O- ordered, but d- do not have it yet. Okay. Okay. That. I would very much like to get my hands on one of those, but yeah, sort of waiting it out. Uh, a couple more. Well, first of all, we had a bunch of new trailers for stuff we already know. So right. we had a Ghostwire Tokyo trailer, um, which I have not gotten hands on with yet, but we're going to be talking about very soon. I think maybe next week we'll mm. we'll be doing a preview on the show. Um. Because somebody at the TG office is playing that one. Nice. Uh, yeah, so we'll be able to talk more about that really soon. The trailer looks cool. I think this game looks neat. They also dropped a 18-minute uh, long uh, gameplay preview. 
I, I'm not sure if it was, I saw it on IGN and I think it was the exclusive to IGN, but it was like just showing, you know, walking around the open world, doing combat, doing a, a side quest and uh, mostly combat. It, the combat looks pretty cool. Um, when I, Looking at this game makes me realize how few first person games we get out of Japan. I feel like mm. the first person shooter really feels like a genre that you mostly see in the West, and especially first person like RPGs and open world games it's mostly seem like a Western thing. So I'm like interested to see what this game plays like because yeah. like, open world games in general don't come out of Japan very often. Like the most recent one I've played would probably be Near Automata, and that was five years ago. Elden Ring. Oh, Elden, <laughs> Elden Ring, right? uh yeah horror first person makes me think resident evil mm. um but yeah interesting uh stranger paradise final fantasy origin got a new trailer and a new demo this is the second demo yeah uh for this game we're gonna kill chaos himbo style right uh i'm not interested sorry no i uh might be interested depending on how can't be it feels i guess i guess yeah. if, it, if it feels like they're really leaning into that you know i can like if it feels self-aware i guess i i could think that is what i'm interested to find out i'm I, what the hell does final fantasy origin mean all those games are different worlds what what origin is it yes i think it isn't it a like supposed to be a retelling of the story of the first Final Fantasy game. Oh, okay. That makes I think sense. it is, but the, I mean, it looks completely different than the first Final Fantasy game. Like, this <laughs> is like starring a dude in a in jeans, and like, the first Final Fantasy is like the hardest, like, hardcore fantasy of any of the yeah. Final Fantasy games. Like, it, it's just, you know, swords and sorcery, you know? Yeah. So I'm not sure how this is related to that. Yeah, uh, we also got a new trailer for for Spoken, which also was delayed this week. Yeah, yeah, delayed um, to October. Yeah, the hip hoppy walk. Uh, it was a very hip hoppy trailer. Yeah, <laughs> you can say that, right? Uh-huh. They're really yeah. leaning into that. Yeah, I I feel like this trailer was the most that I have been into that game because i feel like the traversal stuff they showed looked pretty cool yeah it looks flashy the combat looks really really fluid and i don't know it it does look fun i Mm. think that they have a optics battle to Mm. fight because they're not representing the game that well and especially with a delay like this it's not uh I, I don't know. I don't know how they overcome that except for like really good word of mouth at this point because I don't think that they get to have the hype now. Yeah, I think it is struggling on that front. I I think it has a bad name too, which I think yes. might hurt it, you know? I feel like this got announced the same, I think of the same showcase as Returnal, so it was like, well, those are two made-up words, like right. back-to-back, you know? Um, and so... I've sort of linked those in my head as like, those are, you know, games that really could have used a second pass on the title. Um, but I don't know. It might be, it might be good. You said you were looking forward to it, right? Yeah. I, yeah, it looks fun, mm-hmm. but that's all I can really say. <laughs> I can really say about it. Uh, right. 
Gundam Evolution is a free-to-play multiplayer shooter. I s- could have sworn this was a mobile game, but maybe I'm mixing up a Transformers thing with a Gundam thing. It's but, also it's definitely on Steam. I looked it up on Steam to see who yeah. was publishing it. Um, but yeah, it's a yeah. I don't know if it'll. I would imagine it would be on. It would be. I would imagine they would want this everywhere that they can get it, since it is a free-to-play shooter. You know, like that. That's right. the kind of thing where you want to get as many places as possible. So I don't know. It's on. It's definitely on Steam. I can't. And, and it will be on PS5 and PS4. So we'll see where else it ends up. Yeah. It. It. It's interesting because it had. It very much has the hero shooter Overwatch flavor, but it's also like pretty firmly in that mech shooter genre too. Mm-hmm. Um. So it. I don't know. It's somewhere somewhere in between, uh, which looks cool because those those like arena mech shooters are pretty unapproachable, mm. um, and this looks a lot more arcadey and right. first person shootery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so back to Stranger of Paradise for a second. Yeah. On, on the Wikipedia, it says Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin is set in a dark fantasy interpretation of the setting of the original Final Fantasy game with a group of people drawn into it from another world. So it's got that forespoken thing happening. It sounds like where it's like, you know, people from the modern day have been drawn into that setting. Gotcha. So it is okay. both. It is both. It is the original like sword and sorcery, final fantasy setting with a dude in jeans that we are not imagining either of those elements. <laughs> okay. It somehow all makes more sense and less sense at the same time. Right. Uh, TMNT, the Cowabunga Collection. Boy, those turtles. Those turtles are fucking everywhere right now. They've been in a lot of games, yeah. Yeah, and have sort of always been everywhere is what this made me realize. They have starred in quite a few video games. Yeah, these are the classics. Yes, this includes Back from the Sewers, Follow the Foot Clan, Tournament Fighters, three versions of Tournament Fighters on NES, SNES, and Genesis, The Manhattan Project, Radical Rescue, the arcade game, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games, the Hyperstone Heist, and Turtles in Time. Those are the, the games that are included with that. How is it possible that I've played 100 hours of Turtles in Time and it's the only game on this list I've ever heard of? Yeah, I'd never heard of any... I mean, I heard of the arcade game, I guess. And then I think just playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is the one that was on NES, which was like a brawler. I think I yeah. played that back in the day, but... I have not heard of the Hyperstone Heist or the Manhattan or the Manhattan Project or anything. It's any of so, those other ones. I guess I played Tournament Fighters and Turtles in Time, and those are the only Super Nintendo games on this list. Mm-hmm. The a bunch of these are Genesis, which I didn't have, and a bunch of these are Game Boy. I didn't even know that there were all these Turtles games on Game Boy, but yeah, there you go. Some old ass Ninja Turtles games to go along with your new Shredder's Revenge or whatever is that what it's sure. called. Yeah. Yes, I think so. I think that's the name of the new brawler that's coming out. Yep. And they're in Nickelodeon and All-Star Brawl, and they're in Brawlhalla, and they're in, I don't know, probably a car racer. <laughs> yeah, I think we're due for a new Turtles movie is what I'm hearing. Yeah. When was the last one? There was one in... It's like every two years, pretty much. Yeah, there was the Michael Bay one, and then there was the animated one. The most recent one, I think, is in 2014. So I think we are due for some more turtles. Yeah. 
okay, Gigabash is like a like a isometric War of the Monsters thing. Yeah, War of the Monsters is what I was what I was going to compare it to as well. Um, which was like cool. a old PS2 game. I don't know if it was on GameCube, but that era of games, I played it on PS2 at my friend's house, and that was like a. We only ever played one v one, but it was like you know you could be Godzilla or Kong or a giant robot and like beat each other up in a destructible city. Yeah, yeah. Party party game kind of looks like four player, just PvP monster. Little thing that should probably just be a PS Plus game. Mm-hmm. Uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All Star Battle R. Yeah, that's a remake of a 2013 game from CyberConnect Two. I don't know who is developing this remake slash remaster, but it looks mm. good. I mean, the art style looks really good. Yeah, um, the weebs on my Twitter timeline were pretty hyped. Yeah, so that's a good sign. Fifty playable characters. Oh, cool. I was assuming it was an Arxis game, but it doesn't seem like it is. I just saw that art style and was like, well, this seems like something that Arxis could definitely have pulled off, you know, given True, what yeah. they did with Dragon Ball Fighters. Yeah. And then we had another trailer for Trek to Yomi. Yeah, that's that uh, side-scrolling uh, samurai game that looks like sort of a 2D version of the Kurosawa mode for uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Is are people talking about this thing where Flying Wild Hog keeps making Japanese games or games set in Japan or Japanese themed, and there's nothing Japanese about that studio? No, I I mean I looked at the names and was like, well, Flying Wild Hog doesn't sound like a Japanese studio name, and the name of the guy that they listed, the individual dev, didn't sound like a Japanese name. So I was wondering what was Le- going on with that. L- Leonard Minciari. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, they just did Shadow Warrior 3. Oh, that, that was them too? Yeah, which is oh, a little problematic, I think. Yeah, I know that uh, a little George... stereotypy. Yeah, George Yang, the freelancer, has a article up at NPR about um, how they have brought in Asian voice actors to replace the white voice actors that had... Or non-Asian, I don't know if they were white, but non-Asian voice actors that had voiced the characters in previous installments. So uh-huh. that might be worth reading if you're interested in in okay. uh, that game. But Flying Wild Hog is also doing Evil West, which okay. looks like Dark Watch. Um, what is... I don't feel like I've seen anything about this game. This was revealed at the Game Awards 2020. Okay. And then we got another trailer at last year's Game Awards. I guess Flying Wild Hog is all over the place. Yeah. Apparently. Uh, that's everything, you know? Is it? Is it? Do we cover everything? That's a, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, so, are you excited about any of these things? I guess is my question. So, so because of the kind of gamer I am, I'm mm. only going to play single player stuff on my PlayStation. Yeah. All my multiplayer stuff is on PC cuz that's where my friends are. So, okay. like I'll play Dino Crisis uh Exo Primal. Yeah, I'll play Exo Primal if it's on PC. Mm-hmm. That looks playable. Do you feel Chronicle is something I'm interested in, but it's probably going to be 
80 hours long and lots of reading and I just I know I'm not gonna get through it mm. I would love to get into Returnal Co-op but not until it's on PC I will definitely play Ghostwire Tokyo that's not exactly a new reveal mm-hmm. uh, but for sure I'm gonna play that as soon as I can uh, yeah that's it yeah that's it yeah I think it has made me realize that most of the Sony stuff I've been excited for is out now I was really mm-hmm. looking forward to Last of Us Part Two for a long time, and that's been out. I was really looking forward to Horizon, and that's out. I was really looking forward to Deathloop, and that's out. So I, I feel like they're going to need to show some new stuff if I'm going to be. Well, there's a bunch of stuff that didn't get mentioned. Uh, there yeah. was no God of War here. There was no Resident Evil here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's still you know we'll we'll have to wait for the summer, summer games fest or. We'll have to wait a few more months. Yeah. Um, for the exciting stuff. Um, I mean, Spider Man Two. If they show off Spider Man Two, I'll be into that. Right. I'm excited for whatever that ends up being. I'm excited for Wolverine, although I don't think that is platform exclusive to Sony. Do we know if it is? Well, it's Insomniac. Doesn't Sony own Insomniac? Uh, then I guess it is. Yeah, I forgot that that yeah. was Insomniac. So yeah, I guess that'll be Sony exclusive. So I'll play those definitely. But we haven't really seen anything of them, so I don't know what to think i feel like i also don't feel like i've seen much of ragnarok i don't know what to expect from yeah yeah we haven't seen much of that either and when are we gonna see starfield because that game's supposed to come out in november and we have not seen a single frame of that game maybe a still here and there but yeah and they had the one trailer but i don't know if that was it was just a cutscene from the game it seemed like it wasn't showing any like gameplay so yeah yeah, I don't know what that... I am excited for that, but I also... I mean, just because I like a big first-person, like, crunchy RPG, so, like, I am excited to see what that looks like, and I feel like there aren't enough RPGs that are, like, set in space in the way that that one is, so I will be excited to play it, but, yeah, we have not seen much from it. We have a special guest this week, uh, Timon Smoktala, lead designer on Dying Light 2. So we're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back uh, with our interview. Welcome back. Our special guest today is Timon Smectala, lead game designer of Dying Light 2. How are you, Timon? Good, thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. I want to say, first of all, a huge... Congrats for such a massive launch for Dying Light 2. Uh, I think I read, I don't know if this is accurate, but 3 million in the first weekend? Yes, exactly, exactly. That's the number that we have revealed. But as you can imagine, I don't want to brag too much, but uh, like that was just <laughs> the opening weekend, so, so so the number is definitely bigger at this point. So yes, it was massive. It was, it was, it was really an amazing moment for the whole company. Yeah, and then still like in the Steam Top 10 and like still really going strong all, all month long huh yes th- yes thankfully but uh th- like as i said the moment when we released the game it was like a magical moment for the whole for the whole studio yeah and uh, like we 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 really enjoyed that 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 like those 24 hours but then uh, we realized oh shoot now we need to support the game now it's time to actually <laughs> like put our money where the mouth is. And uh, like we said, we will support the game for five years. 
So now it's time to really like open your ears and listen to the community and then start adding new stuff. And uh, personally, I think that uh, the, the period that we are right now is uh, again quite tense for us because we mm. feel that this is the moment of truth for us. Like it's easy to release a game and, and enjoy its initial success, but then you have to build the game. You need to build the longevity of the game. And this is exactly what we aim to do at this point. Understanding that this 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 will be a challenge. This will be hard. Like to get players' attention for few months, few years more. That's 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 something. And that was such a big part of the original game. Uh, yes, was that that long term support. So there's high expectations. Um, exactly for, for the but, future. But, but was, to... Yeah, but it was. I think the. I think the. The like the the balance of power was different. The context mm. was different back then because back then we didn't actually plan it to be that long. What okay. we did is that uh, we released the game and we like we thought, okay, so we're done. We, we it's 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 all it's like it's out. We can now go to holidays, um, uh, but then. There was this moment where we started reading like media review, media reviews, and the media wasn't really that much into the game. So maybe the atmosphere at the studio went a little down when the first game was released. But then we started seeing what people are writing online, and they were getting really excited about gameplay, about the game, and they really gave us back then. They gave us like they gave us back the confidence uh, that that we needed, and they really we felt. The community, the gamers, really supported us. So mm -hmm. we wanted to like give that love back, and we started adding new content, and it evolved into being this like very long period of five, six years of supporting the base game. Right now, that's the plan from the start. So, so that's why it's different. Right now, we have to like be a little bit more uh, considerate, be a little bit more like. Do it with uh, uh, with more planning. Do it with more um, uh, like more thoughtful approach, and it's definitely different. But I hope yeah. in the end the effect will be will be the same that players will get five years, six years of very strong support um, that will will be continuously spread over the over that period of time. You, you know, it's funny you say that because I I was really struck by how different. Dying Light 2 is from the first one. Uh, especially, uh, you know, afterwards I played um, Horizon Forbidden West, which is a really great game, but like most sequels, it's just more of the first game. Um, and Dying Light 2 isn't. And I, I know that um, you know, in the lead-up to release, there was uh, um, among the fan base, people were skeptical about some of the big changes to like parkour and the day-night cycle. And um, But, you know, at least personally, those things really won me over in the end. And I'm, I was just curious. Um, I, it must've been hard to, to make such big changes knowing that it was going to be divisive among some people. Some people just hate change, you know? Um, but I, you must've known that it would be better for the game in the long run. Right. I, like as always, you never, you never really know. Like it's always mm -hmm. a risk connected to such decisions, but um, uh, we, Actually, we had a we had a a very precise goal for all of those changes. All, all of those changes were meant to bring more people to Dying Light franchise. And uh, of course, we understood that this is a risky move. That 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 maybe we should play it 
like we should play our our cards more safely we should stick to what was proven and we should try to like let's say defend the defend the base like keep the community that we have but i think it's like every time when you do something especially creative like when you when you taste some success you you want more like you want mm-hmm. to reach more people you want more people to to see what you are capable um, what you can do so uh so so that was the goal but i must say that uh, the last few months where we realized that the moment of truth the moment of the final exam is nearing we started having doubts like we, we we weren't so sure that this will be a success that this will work out in the end so um so so it was a risk i i i'm i'm not sure if there's like any way to explain why we decided to take such a such a big risk maybe it's just us being crazy to be honest <laughs> like we i think we we do a lot of things differently we do a lot of things differently than than bigger studios because like when you work at a when, when you are a studio like ubi for example or maybe a ea studio you try to be risk averse. You try to stick to 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 what you know. Right. Like we don't have that kind of control. We I think we, we still kept that like that that garage spirit of of that independent spirit of of Techland. The Techland has been around for thirty years. We are making years. We are making games for more than two decades. So, um, but we started small, and I think. That, that feeling, that spirit of, of, of being a, an independent studio is still with us. And this is what allowed us, this is what gave us that freedom to make those bold decisions, bold, to take those bold risks. Hmm. And it, it also seems like may, maybe you really value making Dying Light different, not just from the first game, but from other games too. Because I've heard you, like in other interviews, talk about um, ways that you try to make the game unique like for instance when when people talk about you know ranged weapons and you and you've mentioned like in the future different kinds of ranged weapons but avoiding just putting in an ak-47 because every game has an ak-47 mm-hmm. why does dying light 2 need an ak-47 do you do you feel like you have to find ways to make dying light 2 stand out from maybe like the rest of the open world genre or just other games in general I, I think that I think that's a, that's that's a good, a good assumption. I think that's actually something that that I can like sign under because mm-hmm. but, but you have to do it because uh, generally like when you're making a game, there are so many games out there that 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 no matter what the game is, you can expect that there will be some some competition, that there will be other titles. So you have to do something to make your game unique. Uh, but on the other hand, I think there's also this ambition in Techland that that we just want to to prove our creativity and that our creativity, like it, it never stops, basically. So, so it, this can be a bad thing. Like I, 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 I assume there will be a moment where we will make one decision too far, like where we will make a mistake because we we constantly want to change things. But definitely, there's this there's this spirit, there's this approach in the studio. I think it's it's part of our DNA that we just come up with new ideas, like like every day, every week, every year. Every new project has to has has to have something new. I think even even if you look at our process, uh, how our pre-production starts, our pre-production starts with defining the unique 
elements, the unique pillars of the game. So this is basically built into the process of, of making a new game. We start with defining things that will feel will be unique. We don't start with saying, okay, so we want to make, I don't know, another Assassin's Creed or another Call of Duty, but with this or that twist. We start with saying we want to make things that are new. And only then we start maybe adding more familiar elements because that's also important. That's also needed by the players. If you create something that's completely out of the box, there's a huge risk that you will alienate your audience. But we start with what's unique. And only then we start adding the more familiar elements. I also wanted to ask you about the the mod scene that's already started to crop up around Dying Light 2. I don't know how much you pay attention to this stuff, but I've been seeing a lot of modders that at least in their eyes are trying to make dying light two more like dying light one, which <laughs> yes, I, f- I, I, I found yes. really interesting. Uh, there's yes. been stuff like extreme dismemberment and like what they call realistic parkour and harder nighttime. And I, I, I was just wondering, like, what do you think about the way that modders are approaching the game? And mm-hmm. that's actually very interesting what you said, because like, I, I didn't, name the pattern the way that you did but but you're actually right like a lot of the mods i i I can't say i'm really following that like every day checking what's new but yeah yes yes i i i i'm following this i'm checking like maybe every two weeks to see to or a week maybe once a week to see if there's if, if anything new has been released have been released and um yes now like after you said it i see that that's actually that's the pattern they like there are a lot of them majority of them is to make the game more similar to dying light one which i kind of understand i think that's something that that's easy to start with like because we have we have offered a new experience to the players and it seems they like in it but it's a sequel. They, they, a lot of people were used to, to, to other solutions. So, like the first step you do is you try to like, like, like put it somewhere in your head. Like, like uh, find a place for it in your head. So the easiest way to do it is to ch- just try to make the new experience more similar to the to the old one. But I think that this will change. I think that uh, that uh, that in the future we'll see more and more mods that will experiment with new ideas, mm-hmm. and also. Uh, Actually, we have some updates planned for the for the game that will kind of bring those old old elements to the to the game. Like even today, on the day that we speak, we have um, released a new patch, a new update for the title that contains this element that we call the brutality pack, and it is kind of bringing back the. The, the the brutality from the first game actually the brutality is the, the 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 gore the brutality is something the violence is something that kind of surprised us because we thought mm. that dying light 2 is sufficiently gore sufficiently brutal but it seems like people want more so so we are giving uh, giving them that there are also there's also a more difficult difficulty mode on the table that we are working on but we don't want to rush it because we really mm. want to make it like this hardcore experience so 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 definitely something like this is coming so a lot of the things that are being created as mods we will actually do like more official versions of them or mm. our own solutions to the same to the same goals that people have set out for themselves and i think especially after that the new mods that we'll see will be different 
I think, uh, and I hope that that that's that will be the case. I hope that players, that mothers will be um, inspired more by our uh, Easter eggs. So, like for example, you have an Easter egg with uh, with the bike, or we have an Easter egg with uh, where you fly on a uh, on a broomstick. So, mm-hmm. so I expect mods go more into that crazy direction. Maybe there will be like bike races. Maybe there will be like uh, broomstick races or, or things like that. So hopefully, like people will start will accept that Dying Light Two is different, and they will start like broadening its appeal and adding to it, not trying to re- redo the first game. Do Do you feel then that you can look at the popular mods to as a way to see what the players are interested in and what you you can develop towards for sure like definitely this is an inspiration for us and definitely this is this is like a uh, a way of trying to understand what are the needs of the community like we mm. we aren't shy about it we we want to listen to community and we want to follow community feedback of course, applying our own um, quality level and applying our own um, like our own ideas and our own direction that we want the game to move in. But definitely, we 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 want community to give us feedback. So so no matter what the feedback is, no matter how no matter how people express it, because on on the internet sometimes the the the, the part of expressing your feedback is perhaps not the the most um, polite, but no sure. matter what it is, we try to listen to 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 every word that 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 is be- being thrown at us and and make our own conclu- conclusions from it. So so definitely the mod scene is 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 something we are inspired from and by. Along this, those same lines of sort of the the player the the part of the player base that's really attached to the first game there. I, I'm really fascinated by the situation with the Korok charm. Can mm-hmm. you explain? Can you explain what that is and what's this? What the situation is? Uh, like you mean the situation that happened just like an hour ago? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, so we took one risk uh, with the design decisions in our game that um, uh, we will not allow for repairing weapons which we knew will be controversial. The thing is that when you look at the balance of how quickly the weapon breaks, it's very similar to what to what was there in the first game. The difference is that in the first game, you had to like spend some resources to keep your weapon going for a very similar amount of time. Right now, you don't have to spend those resources. That was the decision we made for Dying Light 2. Uh, but then at the very late stages of the development, um, usually we have this phase where I think every developer has it, that like there's a moment where the maximum capacity of the studio works on the game, but the closer you get to the release, the number gets slower and lower. So at the end of it, only a, a faction of your studio works on a game. The rest of the, uh, of the people, like they have some extra spare time. So in our case, what they do is they do Easter eggs. And we have hidden an Easter egg in the game in the form of a correct charm, which is like a charm that you connected to your weapon, which allowed people to kind of repair their weapon. Like it allowed them to restore the durability of the weapon. And 
it was meant to it wasn't meant to be the official repair solution like weapon repair system for the game it was just supposed to be hidden something for the players that find that find it and and that's how the game was released people mm-hmm. have found the correct charm and some of them those that have either found it by themselves or like found about it on youtube they started using it and it seemed it seems they felt it's an important element of their experience but we did kind of broke the correct chime in the last patch oh okay we 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 made it because previously like as it was released you could install the charm meaning you could restore the durability of your weapon without any cost right now there's a cost assigned to it the problem is maybe the cost is too high right now so people went from having a, a thing that allowed them to repair a weapon for free to having a, th- a thing which allows them to repair the weapon, but they have to pay a lot. And now that's why some of them got angry. I think we will actually like rebalance it for them again. Like you will have, you will pay like a small cost for it. But from my perspective, to be honest, I'm surprised by, by the reception, how, mm. how much of a problem or how much of a talking point it became. I'm really surprised that you're asking about it because uh, this was meant to be an Easter egg. This was something hidden very like very much in the game, so or very well in the game. So maybe I'm wrong, but I think it was really used by like a like a fraction of of, of a percent of, of gamers. But of course I understand those 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 gamers um, uh, are the most vocal. So so that's Always, why you hear yeah. about it. Yeah, I I didn't know about it either. I just I was fascinated by it because you know, the the game isn't designed to repair weapons and you you put this little easter egg in as you say, but but it's become core to to their to to some people's experience uh with the game. It's it's interesting. Yes, but as I said like um Definitely, we will listen to, even in, in a case like this, we will listen to, to, to people's reactions. We will try to make it a little, a little closer to what they expect. But I think we'll, mm. like, we, we definitely will, will keep, we, we will stick to our guns. We will not go, like, we will not be totally steered by democracy. Like, we still want to have to, like, have, be able to make the final decision on things. But we are listening, and we try to learn from what we hear. I I see you on Twitter asking for input on stuff like the Quark Seed and stuff like new features, photo mode, new game plus, and yes. it's such a it strikes me as such a bold thing to do. I just it seems like a lot of developers wouldn't risk opening themselves up to the public in that way. And I guess my first question is just like how do you how do you filter out filter through so much you know negativity and positivity but just like so much coming at you from from people online i don't know like i think i i think it's like you know i think it comes with experience i think it comes mm. with like I, I i i am a part of personally i am a part of game industry for basically 20 years now. I was a game journalist before, so I was also used to expressing opinions. 
Then when I joined Techland, which happened about eight years ago, I also understood how those opinions can be hurtful for developers and how considerate you have to be about expressing your opinions. Because like behind every game, there's a team of 100, like even sometimes even one developer. But, but even if it's a team of 300 developers, 500 developers, all of those people are very talented. And uh, sorry, um, they are talented, of course, but they are very um, emotional and very um, like they, they 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 treat every feedback about what they do very personally, personally mm-hmm. because this is where they express themselves. So I believe it's harder for 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 a studio which is made of like two, three, five, ten developers. But even if it's a studio as big as ours. Everyone gets very personal about the game. In my case, but I think generally for our company, like we are in the, we have been in the business for quite some time. So, so like you kind of start, you you get your confidence. Like you, it's it's easier, it's a little bit easier for you to understand that people will express opinions, that they will, that sometimes those those opinions will not be positive, but. You have to listen to everything that people say and try to draw, draw like take something out of it. Like every mm. ex, every feedback expressed by community by a member of community is a precious, valuable information which we can take and we can act upon it. And with experience, with 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 the methodology we have, we can actually try to make the best decisions possible and maybe not act too quickly if we just see one or two tweets here and there. Uh, but having th- that kind of feedback and having access to, to that information is actually a very good thing for us. So you just have to keep like your cool head. Mm. You have to understand that people don't think about how they express your opinions. They will their opinions. They will probably be more polite when when you invite them to the studio and ask them questions on the internet. Anything goes. But I think we are adult enough and and professional enough to be able to filter through this and go to the essence of what's being said and try to make conclusions based on that essence. That is an impressive skill to be able to not not take it personally (laughs) on the internet. Um, Another thing I wanted to bring up was I I watch a lot of um, I watch a lot of like trick shots. There's so many cool things you can do with the bow because of the way that, you know, like kind of time stops when you're firing in the air. So I've seen a lot of like really cool, smooth parkour lines where people are jumping off of a guy, shooting another guy in the air, opening their paraglider, you know, and I, it's just so cool to, to see the things that people come up with. And I, I'm sure for, for you and the team, it must be really cool to see things that maybe you didn't imagine either that people come up with. Actually, the, I, I have I have seen some things that I didn't imagine when we were designing the game. Like you design a game, you have an, you have some ideas how people could use those elements, those features, how they can connect them together. Of course, like every one of us has like a few thousand hours spent in the game. So I, I can like, I can risk a, a, a statement that we are actually quite good like, mm. like players, all of us. Yeah. But, but, even even still like i saw a lot of things that really surprised me like the way people were able to connect different moves some of them even hidden a little not expressed in the skill tree this is this is really amazing but um 
I think this happens because like we have quite a few very talented people working on the game, but all of us have diff like even working on gameplay, but we have slightly different sensibilities and, uh, and and we get excited about different things. And then when you connect all of those different approaches, all of all of those different sensitivities, all of those different things that excites us as gamers, like it's it's actually the the gameplay that we have in the game is 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 more than the some some of its parts because like every one of us adds something to the gameplay to how the gameplay is designed how it's implemented and but we also like look at each other we also look at each other's ideas and then sometimes even subconsciously see connections between um uh, different features and skills that are being uh, implemented by me or gameplay programmers or whatever and uh, like th i think this is the key to to why our gameplay is 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 um, so exciting and so so open for people to 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 have fun with because we bring different sensibilities we bring different ideas but we learn how to work as a team uh, to, to make all of those elements work together. I think it's worth saying that the core team of Dying Light 2 is a team of people that have also worked on Dying Light 1 and have also worked on the Dylands. So actually there's mm -hmm. this, this continuity, there's this heritage that we have and we have learned how to work together, how to not step on everyone or like on each other's toes, how to like complement each other in our work. So so mm -hmm. definitely this is this is the, the outcome of this. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to the the future Dying Light Two. I think the thing that I'm most interested in is the 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 gear um, loadout system. When when we talked the first time uh, at the preview event last year, um, you had mentioned how the sort of like class system around gear was going to evolve a lot um, in the future. And uh, that was definitely something I noticed playing through the campaign the first time is that uh, I, di I didn't feel like a strong attachment to my gear. I didn't feel like the stats made a big impact on my gameplay, but I was hoping maybe you could speak a little bit to how that system's going to evolve over time. So definitely this is still the plan. This is still something we want to evolve. Generally, I think this is a... It's not. It's not the only direction we will we will push Dying Light to moving mm -hmm. forward. But definitely, this is one of the strongest directions that we have for the game that we want to support. Playing in co-op, playing in a team of people, and specializing within that team. So, uh, so in future updates, and you will see some of those being communicated in the next few weeks, and some of those things will be released, like within the next quarter or two this year, we will start introducing more challenges which are actually more difficult than what you have already in the game, where specialization and and um, having a team consisting of different roles will be way more beneficial and way more, way more important. Another thing that we will also do is we will actually try to develop those roles even more adding specific skills to 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 each role so when you will start playing as a as a as the medic character you will get access to to, to some like medic uh, abilities there will be abilities for 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 the melee dps range dps tank character so 
all of those uh, all, so, so 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 like i don't want to jump the gun and say too much at this point but definitely mm-hmm. this is still the direction you want to go and with us adding more and more content that will require or encourage people to to play together in co-op i think you will see more uh, support for the class system as well i th- i think that's really exciting uh in, in terms of looking for the future content because those rpg mechanics can continue to raise the power level of the players yeah. and they can feel like they're getting stronger as the game goes on that's a that's a really exciting thing for me as like a rpg fan that's 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 the plan that's definitely the plan that's great uh Timon, thank you so much for your time uh congratulations on, on dying light 2 it's an awesome game and everybody seems to really love it Thanks. Thank you for that. Once again, thank you for inviting me. It was a very nice conversation. Like it's good that 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 we actually touched on some subjects I wasn't able to talk about uh, in any other interviews. So 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 really great. Thank you. Take care. Take care.